It's the one thing we all have in common. Every reader and writer has in common is personhood. So having any topic, you know, no matter what, I don't care if it's science or math or a social studies topic or a history topic or whatever, related first by the people, by the stories of the people who did it, to me is just like, oh, of course that's where you start. listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here. Happy April. So glad to have you with me today. I've got a guest here on the show today you're going to love. You can probably already tell just from that little tiny clip I gave you a taste of. Barb Rosenstock is writing some of today's very best picture book biographies, and we're sort of picture book biography aficionados around here, so I feel like I can say that with some authority. (laughs) Today in our conversation, you're going to hear why a picture book biography is actually more about connection than it is about history. It's about the experience of being human, and my favorite is when she talks about the so what factor. You know, here's a story, so what? Oh man, it's really good. And I don't want to keep you waiting because this was such a great conversation. I want to get right into it. So let's just start by getting to our listener question. Today's question comes from Jen. Hello, Sarah. My name is Jen and I am a substitute teacher and a former elementary school teacher. I have a third grader and a second grader, both girls. And I substitute in their classes regularly. I would like to know if you have any recommendations for picture books that I can gift my, my girls' teachers and maybe even have at the end of the year like as a little thank you gift at the end of the year have the students from that class even sign that book and then gift it to the teachers. We have some amazing teachers and I would just like to show my gratitude. So I am looking for great ideas for picture books for teachers that they can continue on and read to their classes in the future and really appreciate. Thank you so much. Oh, Jen, I love this idea so much, and it was really fun for me to make a short list of books for you. Here are some picture books that would make lovely gifts for your kids' favorite teachers. The first one that comes to mind is called A Letter to My Teacher. It's a picture book written by Deborah Hopkinson, illustrated by Nancy Carpenter. Um, Nancy is actually coming this month to do an author access in RIR Premium. She is one of the best of the best in illustration, and we've actually had Deborah Hopkinson before. So both of them, we're big fans of them around here. Um, And this is a beautifully touching book about the wonder and impact a good teacher has on the lives of her students for years and years and years to come. That's called A Letter to My Teacher. 
Another one that would be excellent is The Art of Miss Chu. That one's by Patricia Polacco. It's a picture book based on Patricia's actual real life experience as a child and her art teacher, Miss Chu, who acted as a fearless advocate for Patricia growing up. It's just an all around great story, too. It's made a lot of our book lists because we love it. And another one by Patricia Polacco that would be lovely as a gift is Thank You, Mr. Falker, which is the real life classic tale of dyslexic girl, in this case, Patricia Polacco herself, and the teacher who simply would not let her fail. That one is especially wonderful for reading teachers. One picture book I love for teachers is out of print, but I think it's one of the best picture books ever. It's probably in my very top 10 favorite of all picture books. So I wish it wasn't out of print. I hope they'll bring it back, but you can still find used copies at good prices online, and it's called The Tale of Tricky Fox by Jim Aylesworth. It's illustrated by Barbara McClintock. It's a trickster tale, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it yet, but it's funny. It's one of my very favorite picture books to read aloud, and teachers, let's just say, will be delighted by the outcome. And then for anyone who's listening who's got older kids and wonders what to give their teachers, any of those picture books would all be lovely gifts, especially the first one I mentioned, A Letter to My Teacher. Uh, But if you'd like a novel, I can't do any better than Frindle by the late and wonderful Andrew Clements. Before he passed away, Andrew came on Read Aloud Revival Premium for Author Access, and it was a highlight for us. He was a masterful storyteller. And this story in particular is especially delightful because it's short, it's compelling. When you're reading it, you think you're just reading this lighthearted story about a boy who tries to best his teacher and then (laughs) the town that sort of gets a little carried away along with him. But this story turns out to be so much more. I think it reads like a love letter to teachers everywhere. That is Frindle, F-R-I-N-D-L-E. Again, Jen, I think this is a superb idea to buy teachers a book, a picture book, as an end-of-year or a thank-you gift, and then have the students in the class sign it. What a wonderful idea and a, a really a gift the teacher will treasure. So we're going to put this little mini list of recommendations in the show notes so you can find them easily. Those are going to be at readaloudrevival.com slash 151. Thank you for your question, Jen. I appreciate it. And if any of our listeners would like to ask a question that you would like me to answer on an upcoming episode of the podcast, go to readaloudrevival.com and then you'll just scroll down to the bottom of the page until you see a button that says, got a question for Sarah McKenzie? And you can leave your voice mail there. Today's guest is Barb Rosenstock, and Barb has written dozens of picture book biographies for kids. Her work has won many awards and is delighting the hearts and minds of kids and adults everywhere. She's also just a treasure of a person. I think you're going to love her. Barb, I am so glad you're here. We had you on last year for Author Access as part of our RAR Premium Family Book Club. I think you sort of catapulted yourself to the top favorites list. We all loved you. The kids were engaged. Everyone learned so much. And your enthusiasm for whatever you're curious about, it's completely and totally contagious. 
I guess that's why I do what I do. I finally found my, it took me like 50, 45 years, but I found my right job. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are huge fans of picture book biographies at Read Louder Revival. Huge fans of your picture book biographies in particular. One of our members, Michelle, is the one who uh, recommended one of your books in our premium forum. And I thought, huh, I don't know that one. And so I went to the library and got it. And she said, Sarah, you will really, really love this woman's work because we've been reading all of her books. So I went to the library and got your books and uh, they all, we own them all now. They, I think every single one of your books <laughs> is uh, has, a, has a place on our family shelves because we love them so much. So one of the um, educational philosophies a lot of our listeners love is Charlotte Mason. And she was this 19th century educational guru, for lack of a better word, one of her um, philosophies is that the best way to learn history is to see it through the lens of a single person who was there. Because dates don't move us and, you know, a list of imports and exports from a country. I love Charlotte, who I've never heard of. Yes, you probably, you would love Charlotte. (laughs) You would love her. (laughs) Yeah, she would say, you know, you these, you know, a list of imports or exports from a country, you know, a list of battles lost or won, that feels empty and meaningless and when it's taken out of context. But, you know, take me into the battlefield through the eyes of a black soldier during the Civil War, or take me along a boat with Abigail Adams after America wins the Revolutionary War, you know, where she's ordering the ship to be scrubbed from gangplank to galley, and she's tasting up all, whipping up all these tasty puddings, and we are there for it. It gives us this whole different perspective. That is the magic you are doing through picture book biographies. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, and I am going to have to get um, more information on Miss Charlotte here, because she is right up, you know, my alley. I just... I guess I just always, I had a grandfather who told stories about people in his life, um, historical people, my grandpa Stan. And when I look back, I mean, I, I don't think I really started this career with any um, true idea that I was kind of following in his footsteps. Mm. But now that I've been into it about a decade, you know, I can look back and absolutely see that those kind of family history stories that um, were certainly part of my family history and I hope are part of most people's or at least if you have any family history, tell the stories to the kids, Mm. Um, really, really did touch me and really informs that work because I don't think, I think the only way um, I learned history is a series of chronological facts and that's probably why I didn't like it. Yeah, right. Um, It just sucks the life right out of it. You know, it's literally you take what is to me the most fascinating subject on the planet and literally you can make it the most boring thing you've ever (laughs) heard. It's true. You know, (laughs) I still see writing like this. You know, George Washington was born in 1732. I mean, like, who cares? cares? And 1732 means nothing. What does that mean? I go to schools and kids ask me if I was alive during the Civil War. (laughs) So what in the world could 1732 mean to a second grader? It doesn't mean much to me. Yeah, right. You know, and I do this for a living and it really doesn't mean much to me. Um, So I really don't understand the way that, you know, certainly that I was taught history. Um, So what I really do try to do is kind of take my grandfather, the way my grandfather told a story And I'm trying to tell kind of family stories about people I've never met, if that makes any sense. So I understand that you don't start writing your picture book biographies because you're looking to tell a particular person's story, right? So let's talk about your process. You know how I'm sure you get this question all the time. How do you decide who to write about? (laughs) And how do you know that those ideas or that person is worth writing a book about? (laughs) 
Yeah, that's, um, I always, when, I, when someone says, what's your process? I always like want to start giggling because <laughs> I'm not quite <laughs> sure I really have one. Um, it's sometimes long and meandering. Um, there are days I'm not really sure I have a definitive process at all. I don't <laughs> keep a list of people I want to write about. Yes. Okay. You know, this, what I'm doing or is not the way like a traditional biography project in school is, you know, here's your list of 10 people and you can pick a person to do a project on. Um, I, I just guess, and, and I think this is why the books come out the way that they do. I'll run across something that I read or a photo I see or, you know, a piece of art, a museum visit, a wonder I've wondered, you know, like who made that law or what's that machine or something like that. And um, I keep a clipping of file of things like that that I found interesting. And I have yet in 10 years to go in that file and write about anything in there. <laughs> so it's a little more random than people might think. Um, yeah. I kind of tell kids it's it's kind of like a keeping your eyes open uh-huh. and your ears open and maybe even your smell open, your sense of smell open and everything, you know, and just being open to the world. And whenever I get an idea that's like, huh, I didn't know that. I didn't know the Library of Congress's Thomas Jefferson's books. Like, right. what? Yeah. What? I wanted to say that day. I can distinctly remember the day I went, wait a minute. You know, my sister's a, a librarian and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm my sister's librarian. I write books and I didn't know that. Right. Like, why don't I know that story? What is that story? Right. So that's kind of how it starts is with an idea that kind of stops my brain. I call it like a little glitch or a skip or something in your brain. And um, turning that idea into a book, that's that whole idea that I think I brought up last time of like the whole idea of like, so what? Yes, yes. Um, And and I don't mean that in a, you know, it kind of sounds snotty, (laughs) so what? (laughs) But I don't mean it that way. Um, It's like my shorthand for I need to find an underlying principle that takes that idea to the level of a book. There's a lot of people in the world with great ideas. And, you know, people will say, oh, I have a great idea for a book. But idea is in a way, idea is the easiest thing, execution's everything. Hmm. So it's the idea of um, there has to be something more to this story than that cool fact. Yes. All the books, Thomas Jefferson's books. Okay, so what? Like, so if, if that's all we knew about it, mm-hmm. truly, mm-hmm. you know, it wouldn't have been a book. Um, and I can give you guys like so many examples of this. There is so many cool things. Did you know, for example, that Ben Franklin and John Adams once spent a night together in a hotel in the same bed? In an inn, technically. <laughs> really? In the same bed. Really? Right? And they spent the whole evening opening and closing the window because one of them wanted the window open and thought that was healthier, and one of them wanted the window closed and thought that was healthier. Okay. <laughs> Super funny, cool fact to build a book around. Yeah. Except I've been trying for almost seven years to build that book. <laughs> There's nothing else there. There's no real so what. Like, so what? They had a cute evening. Yes, right. Right? It's not that his books and there was someone who loved reading so much and he started as a child and, you know, this all built up and he built this wonderful library and all these cool facts about his library. And then that library, then, you know, there was a horrible disaster and he donates all the books. And now you kids can go, you kids, adults, everyone in the country basically owns the library that belonged to Thomas Jefferson. That's a book. biographies to me is that we are we are all people right it's the most natural connection to me in the world Mm. 
It's the one thing we all have in common. Every reader and writer has in common is personhood. Right. So having any topic, you know, no matter what, I don't care if it's science or math or a social studies topic or a history topic or whatever, related first by the people, by the stories of the people who did it, to me is just like, oh, of course that's where you start. Yeah. We're all people, right? Your grandma, history is just everybody's life story put together. You know, your great grandma and their great grandma and their great grandpa. And a lot of times kids will say that they, they hate history. And I don't think they hate history. I think they hate the way it's being presented. Yeah, right. You know, and to me, people is, a, it's just a natural connection. That's the, the closest I can come with it is that people are naturally interesting. Like Van Gogh, all right, Van Gogh can sleep. I mean, I thought that was the coolest thing when I found out that as a child, he was like wandering around outside, like as an eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then what painting, like then it's those connections too of like, what painting does is he most famous for? A painting of the nighttime. Right. Well, of course, I think a lot of what we do as adults um, is rooted in all of those memories and feelings and everything of our childhoods. And that's an, a, another reason why I probably write for children is I just think that they're so important. Mm. Like the things that children occupy their brains and hearts with young really are going to have resonance for them as adults. Well, and then there's that piece of like in a picture book biography, the a lot of times the person you're telling the story of, there's the element of them as children. And I think it like for me as a kid, I think I would have been astonished to realize that Abigail Adams had ever been a child. <laughs> it's kind of like like seeing your teacher at the grocery store and you're like, wait, you eat? <laughs> you <know? laughs> I would have been – it's sort of like you've been a kid before, you know? And then so you hear about someone like Thomas Jefferson or George Washington and you don't think of them as being children. Right. Well, my favorite – like the my, out of all my books, the one that came about directly because of what you're talking about is um, Ben Franklin's Big Splash. And it's because I um, heard something about Ben Franklin inventing – early on, but I didn't know it was swim fins. I just didn't yeah. know what it was. Yeah. And, um, and all of a sudden I, I looked at all the other books about Ben Franklin and there's like 10 gazillion of them, right? There's, it, there's, I don't know. Lots. Yeah. Lots of picture books about Ben Franklin. Yes. Lots of them. I was like, well, that's silly. Why would you even try to write another one? And then one day that I was looking at them all and my, there was a lot of them on the library sitting on my office floor and I looked at them and they're, they're, he's a fat old man on every single one of these covers. <laughs> Yeah. Was Ben ever a kid? Mm -hmm. Huh. Mm -hmm. I wonder. And that's really the beginning of that book. Well, and then it's like, it's starting with a question because you you think, I wonder if Ben Franklin was a kid. What was he like? I don't know anything about it. And then probably I would guess that as you're doing research and digging into that, questions just bubbling up because you're like, and I wonder about this. And I, and how did he do that? Or what was it like? What were his parents like? Or what was his school like? Or what, you know, I don't know. you Right? Is it just kind of a, then it feels almost just like a trail of following your questions and following your curiosity to see where it leads you. It does. At some point, because a picture book is so short, yeah. um, at some point you need to be really focused though. Like, but that sometimes takes a while. Like I usually know way more. I kind of think of research as like surface research and deeper research. Okay general and surface research to me is like stuff you can find on Google. Like that's shorthand for stuff you can find, you know, okay. when was this, who were their parents? Did they have any siblings? Those are all Googleable things. Yes. Right. Um, deeper research is why would someone do that? 
right? Why would two guys put themselves in a metal bowling ball and go 800 feet underneath the ocean when no one had done it before, right? Those <laughs> mm-hmm. are things that require that kind of primary research or why, what was, I mean, what was Abigail Adams' life like? You can't really Google that, right? Yeah. If you're going to ask that question, what was her daily life like? And that's going to be a really long Google search if you want to go and do that, or, or it probably doesn't even exist. You need to read Abigail's daily life. You need to go to her prime, the primary sources, her letters, her home um, experts that know about her. So really research is just, yeah, it is just following a trail. It's just that there's usually like at the beginning, it's a lot of surface trail. Okay. And then later on, you have to like, really like kind of climb the mountain. Like, all right, what am I writing about? You know, I'm writing about Thomas Jefferson and his books. I wish I could write a novel, but I can't. But I just think like this. I don't know. It's a puzzle. Yeah. Writing a picture book is a puzzle. And I just like it. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you like it because you you keep making books. And you just had two just come out. Fight of the Century, Alice Paul Battles, Woodrow Wilson for the Vote, and Leave it to Abigail, The Revolutionary Life of Abigail Adams. We will have links to all of Barb's books in the show notes for this episode, which are at readaloudrevival.com slash 151. So don't worry if you didn't have time to scroll down those titles, we'll have them for you in the show notes. In the Abigail Adams book, the illustration that I love best, and I love the illustrations. Actually, before I tell you about the one I love best, um, do you know, is is this real cross-stitch that's in the book? Yes. Elizabeth Badley, anybody who's listening, go and get this book out of your library. I'm not telling you to buy it. Buy it if you can, but if you can't, that's okay too. Get it out of your library and look at the end papers. Those were sewn with thread. Most of everything that you see that looks like, I think, in fact, I think everything that you see that looks like cross-stitch is Elizabeth Badley's actual cross-stitch. Oh my goodness, that is amazing. She sewed this book. I was shocked when I found that out. The book had come out when I found that out. I literally put on Twitter, wait, Elizabeth Badley, are you meaning to tell me that this is sewn? I wondered because it is so beautiful and like it gives it a different textural experience reading. I mean, obviously the pages are smooth because it's a picture book you buy at the store, but it feels like a piece, like like an artifact more than than it could yeah, have. Yeah, it's, it's art. It's a it's artwork, yeah. like for real dimensional artwork. Yeah. Okay, so the illustration that I love um, best, and I love so many in this book, but there is an image of her, of Abigail, holding her baby boy, who looks very joyful. She's got a quill in her mouth, and she's reading over one of her husband John's articles, and she's helping him edit and shape the article. But it feels to me like... Um, the presence to be like there for her children, teaching her kids and putting up food and digging potatoes and tending the house while she's also, you know, feeding the militia for during the Revolutionary War and and helping her husband like write these letters. And like you said, importing handkerchiefs to feed their family, to have money to feed their family. And it just feels like um, I just I love her. I think that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> She's the original juggler, as we have talked about before, you know, she's the original modern woman to me. I mean, you know, someone, she was a competent, competent, competent person. And um, when things came her way, um, she just 
handled them. You know, I mean, I think that's what happened is I, you know, I did visit her house and I went up in the attic with um, my national parks uh, guide. And I just kept thinking, you know, the guide's like, and then she used to put up soldiers up here and then she would feed them. And then of course they would need the bedding washed and then she would, you know, make some of their meals. And if any of them then were sick, she would take care of that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, leave it to Abigail. I like said that out loud. Oh yeah. And I went, wait, wait a minute. That might be my book. You know, wow. that might be yeah. my so what, right? So I was already in the midst of research before I had that so what, but it was like, leave it to Abigail. That says so much about, to me, about it was a text structure. It was a title. It was, you know, that's what everybody did. She was so competent that they just was like, well, leave it to Abigail. She'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, and she did over and over and over. You know, she was a very, she very much was a woman of her time. It wasn't like she was some... You wouldn't walk down the street and go, wow, that's a radical female, like by looking at her. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? She had, you know, she was dressed the same way most other women were dressed. But wow, did she have it going on? Yeah. You know, yeah. she just knew her own mind. She was loved by her husband for that mind, which is always helpful. Yeah. Um, and it, she just had the confidence to be like, well, this is what I think, you know. And John really relied on that, too. Like, Abigail, what do you think? Hmm. You know, what do you think about this guy? Do you think that they're supportive? Do you, you, you think, you know, he knew that he had like a treasure, hmm. you know, a woman who, and she really wasn't formally educated in any sense of the word. She just kind of read, read her way into knowing what she knew. <laughs> So which of your books has been the most fascinating to research? Is that even a fair question? I'm not sure it is. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a little bit like asking a mother which of her children she finds most interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, you know, wow. Hmm. Um, who am I going to throw under the bus? Um, no, at the time that I'm writing uh, or developing the book, uh, it, each of them is the most fascinating thing I'm working on. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's whatever one I'm doing then. I love it. So I, love I wouldn't it. have gone through the trouble. If I didn't feel that way, I'm not sure that I'd continue. And there's plenty of projects that I've abandoned. Okay. You know, because I don't find that thing or I just go, I don't care. Okay. You know, I mean, so yeah. I'll read someone, you know, I'll sometimes get, you know, I don't know, a couple of months into a set of research for something and then go, I don't really care. Mm. You know, like I'll just get to that point where I'm, yeah, no, this is not mine to write. And, and in some cases, someone else will write something and it'll be pretty good. And I'll be like, well, great. That was theirs to write. Yeah, right. Um, but I couldn't find what I cared about about it, you know. So um, it doesn't always mean that the, the subject is bad or the idea is bad. It means that for whatever reason, I don't have enough of a connection with it to make it interesting. And if it's not interesting to me, there's no way it's going to be interesting to anybody who reads it. So. That's kind of how that goes. So no, I don't have one that was like the most fascinating to research. Was there any that were like harder to research than the others? Um, anything where there's not a lot of primary sources. Okay. Let me think about that a second. I am looking at my wall of books here. Um, what was really difficult? You know, I, I'm going to have to say The Secret Kingdom was very difficult to research and to be completely forthright about it. It's because I did not, was not able to travel there okay. because of expense, because of safety of where it is. Yeah. And the fact that I'd have been going by myself to basically, um, the border of Pakistan and, um, India. Yeah. And, um, I no nobody in my, my 
the publisher or whatever. Nobody was comfortable with me doing that. And um, I never went there. I really still definitely want to go. I, it's definitely still something on my list. I'd like to see it. But um, it was difficult uh, to get a good handle on the place. The way that I wound up doing that is to have somebody who was there on the ground um, walk around with film. Mm-hmm. And um, I watched a lot of film. I probably did way more research for that book than anything else because because of the fact that I couldn't go. Okay. Um, so there's ways, I, I don't want to say it was around it. There was ways through it, but I, I almost didn't continue that project because I felt like it, I was I really going to be able to know if I hadn't been there? And I also had a lot of people who were natives of, uh, who had been born or raised in that area of um, India uh, read the the text for me and give me their thoughts and opinions and oh, things yeah. like that, which was really helpful also. So, yeah, um, yeah. so that was probably the most, the, the hardest recent one. The hardest one ever was the first one. Oh, <laughs> because right. you don't know what you're doing, you know. So, <laughs> like anything else, the first time you do anything, you know, it's hard. Which one was so. your first one? Um, it's called Fearless, and it was published in 2010. Okay. And it is um, about the, one of the very first women NASCAR racers named Louise Smith. Oh, okay. Maybe that's one we don't have, actually. Yeah. Who first drove her first car at the age of seven years old, and that is in the book. So oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Get a big kick out of that and ask to drive after they read it. So, <laughs> so read this forward with caution, parents. <laughs> I love it. Well, what is next for you, Barb? Um, I, Mary Grandpre, my Caldecott honorary partner from the Noisy Paint Box, and I um, have a book next year coming out called Mornings with Monet. Ooh. So, and I just saw a little snippets of Mary's art, and it is gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. It is like, uh, I don't know how she does it. I don't know how she does her art, yet it lo- it's like, it's Monet-ish. Um but it's original, so it's wonderful. So I can't wait for anyone who's into the water lilies or Monet or any of the impressionists, um, art lovers to see it. And it's really, from my perspective, my so what is a it's about it's a book about art and work, mm. and that art. Um, the whole book takes place in less than five hours in one day. Oh wow! Um, and so that's that's what that's all I'm gonna say. Okay. It was a fun puzzle to work out, a super fun puzzle to work out, and I hope uh, everybody likes it. But that'll be out, I believe, next spring in March, sometime. Awesome. Next year. Well, yeah. I hope to have you back, Barb. We love you here at Read Aloud Revival. Oh, so thank you so much, Sarah. It's so great. I love doing it. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. I love this part of the podcast because kids share the books that they've been loving lately. Hi, my name is Logan and I'm six. Where do you live? Oxford, England. And what's your favorite book? The Hobbit and I. my favorite part is the Battle of the Five Armies. Hi, my name is Madeline. We live at Oxford, England. How old are you? I'm four. What's your favourite book? My favourite book is The Wrangles Wilder. And the part I like is is when they when they when Laura finds the the house. Hi, my name is Evelyn. I am nine years old. I live in Kentucky. My favourite book is The Pinderwicks. 
My favorite part is when they have fun adventures. Hi, I'm Key Tobian. I live in Bellflower, California, and my favorite book read aloud to me is Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson because Jim Hawkins was very brave. Hi, my name is Story, and I live in Bellflower, California, and I'm nine years old. And my favorite book read aloud to me is Paddle to the Sea because it's a he has a big adventure, and one time he got stuck in a lake. Hi, my name is Linnea. I'm eight years old, and I live in Merrimack, New Hampshire. I love the book Ms. Rapscott's Girls by Elise Primavera. The book is about five girls with a very busy parent who were dropped off in boxes to Ms. Rapscott's funny boarding school. The part I like about it is the funny conversations. For example, Ms. Rapscott says, Girls, we should all strive to be like the asparagus. And Annabelle says, but what if I don't want to be in a story? My name is Ada. I am eight and a half years old. I am from Missouri, and my favorite book is the Encyclopedia of Horses and Ponies. I like to learn the history of horses and the horse breeds in the book. I also like to learn how to take care of horses. My name is Allie. I'm six and a half years old. My my favorite book is The House We Lived In. I like it because I like all the designs. I'm from Missouri. My name is Anna and I'm four and a half. From Missouri, and my favorite book is Room in the Broom, and because I like, because there's a cat, a dog, and a frog, and a witch, and a dragon. What's your name? Edwin. Edwin. How old are you? Two. Are you from Missouri? Yes. What's yes. your favorite book? Good night, Moon. Good night, Moon. <laughs> Thank you so much, kids. Man, I love those messages. If your kids would like to be on the show, they can leave us a message at readaloudrevival.com. Just go there and scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll see a button where you can leave a voicemail. No pressure, no stress. They can repeat after you. We can edit and clean them up over here. So, so much fun. We love to share what your kids are reading lately. If you're not on the email list, you are missing our best free resources and book lists. So make sure you're on it. Go to readaloudrevival.com and pop your email in there. You don't want to miss those. I send a little something something to your inbox every Tuesday morning that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids. And you really want to be able to get those. So don't forget to do that. Let's see, links from today's show are all at readaloudrevival.com slash 151. And I think that's all I have to tell you just now. <laughs> I'll be back in two weeks with another show. You know I will. I'll see you then. In the meantime, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Books.